want to talk to you today out of Philippians chapter 4 as we are wrapping up. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series? You guys enjoyed this series so far? I hope so. We, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 and the Apostle Paul as he teaches us about the power of living with contentment. What does it mean to have a content life? If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. If only I was older. If only I was younger. I, I never forget when I, when we started Church of the King, I met with a pastor in this area, and the Greater New Orleans area, a great, I mean, he was just an incredible, great reputation, great church, and I was 31, and I remember going to lunch with him, and I, and I remember when he sat down, he said, Steve, just remember this. He says, when you're young, the older people, they would wish that you'd be a little bit older so they could respect you more. But when you're old, the younger people, they kind of wish that you were a little bit younger because you'd be a little bit more relevant. The point is, whether you're old or whether you're young, enjoy wherever you are. How many times in our lives I thought, you know, if I'll just get this, if I'll just graduate from this, and then I'll do this, and yet we get there, and the thing that we thought was going to happen inside of us there, guess what, wasn't really there. And the reality is we've not enjoyed the journey. All of us, I think, at some level have what's called destination disease. It's amazing as a pastor. You know, you, you have Christmas services, and you're like, I mean, we had, I don't know, 17, 18,000 people for Christmas. It's Christmas Eve service, there was a lot of people. I can't remember the exact number. I mean, there was like 500 people came to Christ, and we had specials and people sing. It was just amazing. I'm celebrating. And of course, then you go on Instagram if you're under 30, or Facebook if you're over. Come on, raise your hand. You know, and, and you see somebody, some friend of mine, you know, they had like 55,000 services, 200 million people in church, and they flew in actually the original drummer boy from Israel. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, we've done nothing for Christ. No, it's because you looked at social media. How many times do we want something that we don't have and we don't enjoy what we actually do have? There's a couple of enemies to contentment. Number one is what I would call cares. The Bible calls them cares. The cares of this world war against contentment in our soul. The cares of this world, we have needs, we have legitimate needs, God wants to help us to meet needs. What are cares? What's the difference between cares and needs? Cares are needs attached to burdens. It's a burden, and they weigh you down. And so you're always worried about the cares of this life. The Bible says it this way, Mark chapter four, verse 19, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. How many times have we been filled with anxiety? What is anxiety? Anxiety says to God, you can't help me. Anxiety basically is a temporary atheism. It's saying, God can't provide. I've got to figure it out myself. Time out. I thought we served a sovereign, all-powerful God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I thought that he was in charge. And if we'll call to him and ask him, and we can have peace, oftentimes the peace in our life is less than what it could be because we don't trust the all-sovereign, powerful God. The cares of this life. Well, God, when I get to there, God, I've got this here. When am I going to get there? Where's there? I don't know, because as soon as you get there, there's another there. Everybody say cares. Number two is comparison. Comparison is so... Now, let me say this up front. 
I believe that we can learn from people synergistically. We can be inspired by other people, business people. You can look at other businesses. You can learn. You can, you can adapt things. You can get better. But you got to be careful because comparison can also suck out of you. It can also drain out of you satisfaction in the present. Where? What? You're always looking to other people. Well, they do this better. And you can actually dismiss, deny, or denounce where you are. Well, you know what? I mean, just, you know, after all, my children, I mean, my, my gosh, they're not on the honor roll. They don't, I don't have a bumper sticker. <laughs> or my kids are this, or my marriage is this, and what about what you do have? And my business is that, and there's always somewhere out there. Where is there? I don't know, but as soon as you get there, there's going to be another there. Can you enjoy where you are on the way to where you're going? Enemies of contentment, cares, and number two, comparison. Paul would say it this way about comparison. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They're not wise. Wow. I, I don't know how much more clear the Apostle Paul can make it. Paul is telling us comparison is a bottomless pit. We're always looking for the better this, the better that, the better this. Again, not to suggest in any way that we shouldn't dream for more, but can you enjoy where you are while you're moving towards the next? My daughter lives in California, and she's married, and she's a therapist, and they are, uh, it's beautiful going out there to see. I mean, it's just amazing to go out and see. It's like they live in Southern California and Carlsbad. I mean, suffering for Jesus. It's beautiful, it's the perfect weather all the time, the beach is incredible, it's gorgeous, and then you go to a restaurant and you eat the food. And you're thinking, this is hell. All right, come on, I'm just being, that's a little extreme, but. Matter of fact, this actually happened a couple years ago, so I'm in Southern California, I'm visiting them, and I look up, and you know the time when like the NBA and the NFL cross over here in the, in the fall, like they've got both of them, and, and the Rams were on, which I don't like the Rams, and then the Lakers were on with Anthony Davis, I was like, golly, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back home, but here's the point, there's so many people, there's so many people, they think if I can just get to the right geography, then it's going to cure the dissatisfaction in my soul. I want to help everybody. There's no such thing as a geographical cure. Because the fact is, as soon as you get, well, I like the mountains. You, you, I was just in a mountain. You go to the mountains, all the people there can't wait to get to the beach. You go to the beach, people, I just wish we had a place in the mountain. In other words, again, if your satisfaction is geography, if your satisfaction is there, where's there? I don't know, because as soon as you get there, there's another there. The question is, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but unless you can't enjoy where you are today, can you enjoy where you are today on the way to there? Paul the Apostle teaches us in the book of Philippians, that there is a power, literally a power, attached to contentment. Contentment means to be independent of external circumstances. Contented with one's lot, what one's means in life. Paul is in a Philippian jail cell. For those of you that are not here, I'm finishing this up. Paul came to Christ 34 AD, three, four years after the death of Christ. 15 years after that, 
Paul planted the church in Philippi. What was his church plant team? A flea market gypsy named Lydia that came to Christ a demonic teenager that the devil came out of and a suicidal security guard. That's his launch team. That's the dream team. They gave their heart to Christ. Talk about a powerful launch team. And they came to Christ. Came to Christ, 34 AD, Paul. He came to Jesus. 15 years later, he led these three people to Christ and the church of Philippi was born. 11 years after that, 61 AD, he's writing a letter in jail back to the church he planted 11 years before. And he's talking about the power of contentment today. How that we can live resourced by God that our soul can be in a place of satisfaction. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Here we go. Verse 10 through 13. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He's at the end of his letter writing to this church. He planted 11 years before. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned. Everyone say learned. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. Here it is. One of the most quoted scriptures in all the Bible. Here it is. I'm going to show you today, while it can be applied to the many contexts in which it is often applied, it's a refrigerator scripture, it's a Hallmark card scripture, it's in many books. This scripture is a kind of a kind of the scripture of all scriptures that people use for human performance. It can be applied there. The original context suggests a little bit different application. Paul says, in the context of contentment, he says, I can do all things. Everyone say all things. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 12, I'm going to say this again. I've learned the secret of being content. You ever had somebody that has a secret and it's just, there's something about, if somebody tells you, I've got a secret, something biologically on the inside of us, it goes, what is it? Really? And then you're a Christian, you're like, well, I don't need to know it. But in deep side, you're going, I really do want to know it. Paul says, I have a secret. Paul's going to share with us today a secret. And the secret, watch this, it's the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. Watch this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Number one, contentment is learned. Everyone say learned. Three secrets to contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. This can be learned. This is a learned behavior in the soul. I have learned. What have I learned? I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Many people believe that contentment is like a chip they get when they're born. You, you know, you go to a car and you're like, I'll take the navigational system. I want that. No, I don't want that. It's like it doesn't come from the factory. It's like it's not built into the car. It's like, it's like you, you actually have to learn this thing. Some people say, well, I've just got it or I don't have it. No, 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 no. And I know suggest that, that proactive type people, particularly type A personalities, like, well, I'm just never content. Well, that's a problem. Because there's a, there's, there's this, the Bible is not suggesting in any way that we don't dream for more or believe for bigger, but the Bible is very clear that in the process, we've got to enjoy Jesus and our soul has to be at rest. Paul said, I learned. Everyone say Learned. Paul learned how to be content. 
Paul's saying that there is a learned mindset. There's a learned mindset. That deep down on the inside of us, contentment, contentment. By the way, contentment is not a matter of stuff. Contentment is a matter of the soul. Because if you have stuff, it's not about stuff. Stuff's not the issue. If people think that, if I'll just get this, if I'll just get this, if I'll just get this. By the way, God doesn't have a problem with you having stuff. He has a problem with stuff having you. And the issue is soul satisfaction. I'm going to say it over and over. Can you enjoy where you are on the way to where you're going? Paul said, I learned a secret. I learned something. Now, let me give you a couple qualifications. Let me tell you what contentment is not. Contentment is not complacency. So they go, ah, you know, I'm just content. Well, really? Contentment is not giving up on desires. It's not giving up on hopes. It's not giving up on dreams. And I'm just going to just, you know, just kind of just, I don't have any dreams. I don't have any hopes. I'm content. No, because the Bible does say in other places that we should desire and we should hunger and we should dream. Contentment is not complacency. Complacency is complacency. Let me tell you what else contentment is not. Contentment is not passivity. You know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about having dreams and goals. The Bible talks about write the vision, make it plain. Those that see it, run towards it, read it. Goals and and dreams and hopes, that is biblical. The problem is, is that when we undercut the reality of where we are today in the hopes of being somewhere tomorrow, and we lose out on the present, that, that somehow our soul is agitated until we get to there, that's not biblical. We have to understand this. Contentment is the power of a soul at peace with God and at peace, peace with oneself. That you understand, God's got me, God's got my future. In other words, contentment is not passivity. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is about soul stewardship, life stewardship. Where I take care of the relationships in my life. I take care of my soul. I take care of my physical health, my spiritual health, my emotional health, my mental health. I take care of what God... In other words, it's getting out of the day maximum impact. You know, I, I, one of my favorite desserts is, is a hot fudge sundae from McDonald's. I know it's crazy. I know there's a lot better out there, but there's something about it. And so I'm going to say, this is a little confession. I got a sweater. You don't know how fat I've gotten. But anyway, so... And so what I do is when I go up there, I utter, I utter, I, listen, I order double fudge. And there's just something about it. And I'll sit in a parking lot. It's like it's an addiction. It's really weird. But anyway, so I'll like pull my car over and I'll just be eating it and eating it. And I'll go all the way down when I get to the bottom. And if I can't get my spoon to get that last part of fudge, I'll just kind of look around. I'll go, and I'll just get that thing out of there. How many of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about? Come on, raise your hand if you're honest in God's house. You know what I'm talking about. In other words, in other words, I'm going to get every single thing I can out of that hot fudge. Contentment is getting every single thing out of the day and not worrying about tomorrow. You ever been in a relationship with somebody or you're out somewhere and, and you're talking to somebody I, I just, I was just in a group, was just with a group of people out of town, and I, I've disciplined myself to do this, that when I'm talking to somebody, I'm going to be fully present, and not, hey, 
Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You ever, you ever been with talking to somebody and it's almost like they're looking for everybody in the room to make sure, oh, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just, I'm gonna be full. Can I tell you, contentment is being fully present with God in the day. That's what it is. It's not suggesting there's not a tomorrow. It's not suggesting there's not another deal, another goal, another dream. But it is saying I've got to enjoy and extract everything out of the day that God wants me to extract. Because it actually sets you up for tomorrow. Contentment is learned. Everyone say learned. Yeah. Number two, contentment comes from gratefulness. Philippians chapter 4 verse 12, for I know how to be abased. He said this. This is Paul. He's in jail preaching the gospel. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound, have a lot. I know how to have little, I know how to have a lot. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. As outlandish as this seems, our souls can act just like this, where we can rant and we can rave, we can feel like we're a victim, we can feel, let me tell you, let me tell you what undercuts and undermines a bad attitude almost every time. You know what it is? Gratitude. Because let me tell you what discontentment does. Discontentment focuses on what you don't have. Let me tell you what contentment does. It focuses on what you do have. I have a friend, his name's John. And I'm going to have John hopefully come speak to us next year. Some of you guys would know his name. He's incredible. He's a great Christian. He's a speaker and writes a lot of books. And he, I learned this from him a number of years ago. He says, what I do in the beginning of the day, I've always had what's called a, grat- a gratitude journal. But he says, one of the things that I do is I take what's called gratitude walks. He says, man, I start feeling sorry for myself. I start getting a bad attitude. I start just kind of getting, you know, just kind of like this. And he goes, let me tell you, but when I wake up or before I go to bed, he says, I'll get, I'll get my gratitude list and I'll take a walk. He says, I'll start off and maybe it's not, you know, my feelings. Remember, everybody say perspective shift. Say it again. Say it, perspective shift. Can I tell you something? When you're focusing on what you don't have, physiologically, emotionally, you feel those feelings. Disappointment, regret, all you feel it. Shift your perspective with gratitude. It's like the dipstick in a car. You know what God uses to find out if you have a, grat- a grateful heart? He, he, puts, he puts a gratitude stick and says, what comes out on the inside? What come, what, how, how much gratitude is in your heart? Can I tell you something? John says, I'll just start. God, I just thank you for my health. Lord, I just thank you that I've got health in my body. How many are grateful that you're here today that you've got health in your body? Come on, how many are grateful? Can, can I tell you something? Can I tell you, lose your health and you'll be real grateful that you had it. I don't want to have to lose something to be reminded of how important it is to me. As a matter of fact, I wrote some things down. This is an exercise. Sometimes you got to get real practical with this. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to say this to everyone. I want to say it one more time. God doesn't have a problem with you having stuff. He has a problem with stuff having you. And oftentimes, the way that you are, listen, the way that God evaluates whether stuff has too much on you is when you lose it. Or when it doesn't, it's not there anymore. I save up. I get a sunglasses. I go to the beach. I'm so excited. I get to the beach. I got these sunglasses. It's amazing. And yes, I forget them and just bless some college kid from LSU. I'm not advocating irresponsibility, but what I am saying is this. Can we be grateful to God whether we have stuff 
or not. Stuff will never satisfy you the way that Jesus will. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said, in everything. Everybody say, in everything. In everything, give thanks. Give thanks. What will satisfy your soul is being grateful for what you do have. So here's a little exercise. Here it is. Sometimes we just need to get practical. I'm going to read a couple things. Then I'll go to my last and final point. Our series is over. Here it is. Sometimes we just need to get practical to stop and to look at what we do have. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. These are rhetorical questions for you to think about, to contemplate, and then I'm going to give you a score at the end. Here it is. You guys ready? Say yes. Okay. Don't raise your hand, but this is, a, this is an exercise to help you begin to develop your gratitude list so that when you go on gratitude walks, you can start with this. Literally, your biochemistry shifts. Your mind shifts. Your feelings shift. Your, your everything shifts when you focus on what you do have versus what you don't have. Here it is. How many of you were afforded the opportunity of finishing high school, college, or grad school? A lot. How many of you have a good job or a successful career? How many of you have good health? How many of you have one or two good friends? That's a rare commodity in our culture today, by the way. How many of you have a loving family? If you said, that's me, to more than three or four of these things, you are among the elite in the world. I mean the top 10% in the entire world. Let me encourage you today. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do. It's been one of the real challenges in my life. I'm getting real transparent. The proclivity of human nature is to focus on what's not rather than what is. There's a thing in my life right now. There's a thing that actually happened recently that is so profound. I've been believing God for it for a long time. But there's this other, and it's so big, and it's so powerful on a personal level. I'm so excited about it, but yet there's an overshadowing need over here that I've also got that, 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 that if I'm not careful, don't miss it, that I can put more emotional energy, intentionality, and focus on what I don't have, what I'm still believing for, rather than rejoicing for what God has just given. Shift. Everybody say shift. The focus, you want to feel better in life, you want to enjoy life more, you want to have better emotions, better feelings, better thoughts, focus on what you do have. Do it every day. It'll shift your thoughts. It'll shift your mind. It'll shift how you feel. Oh, God, I hope I don't have to lose something to be grateful for what I did have. Yeah. Let me give you the last and final thing. Contentment comes as we rely on God. When we rely on God's strength and God's power, we walk in peace and find contentment. Here we go. This scripture, many of you have quoted it. I've quoted it many times. Now here's the context. It's actually in the context of contentment. Paul said this. He says, I can. Everyone say, I can. I can do all things. I can do all things. There is a big difference between biblical Christianity and humanism. Humanism says mankind can do all things. Biblical Christianity says through Christ who strengthens us. We don't live life devoid of God's influence in our lives. We don't live life devoid of relying upon God. I can do all things. What was Paul saying? He's in jail. And he's writing to this church in Philippi. You know what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. 
He says, I can do this. What do you mean I can do this? I can do all things. What all things? I can do this. I can be in jail and still happy, still filled with joy, still feeling the presence of God in spite of my environment. That's where some of you are right now. Maybe not in a physical jail, but you feel like things aren't well. My job's not well. Can you still say this? Through Christ. Everyone say, through Christ. This is much more than willpower. This is much more than pulling yourself up by your bootstrap. This is not about turning over a new leaf. This is about surrendering to the God of the universe that gives you power to do all things. He strengthens you. I can do all things. A can-do attitude is good. It's healthy. It's biblical. We ought to teach our kids. You can. With God's help, you can do all things. Don't leave out with God's help. Don't don't leave out with God's strength. Don't leave that out. That, That is essential. That's germane to healthy thinking, healthy living. It's so powerful. I can do all things. Paul said, through Christ. He's talking about living a content, a life of contentment where he's enjoying today. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to help detach you from there. That's when I'll feel better. That's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll be satisfied. No, no, back it up, back it up. Today, today, I can do all things. I can rejoice today, even if my circumstances, I can rejoice today, even if things are not where I, I can rejoice today and tomorrow and the next day on the way to there. Yeah. I can do all things. You know, one of the things that I realized every week when I come, there's people that do not know Christ here. And I feel, a, I count it a privilege. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I count it as a privilege to be able to talk to people that have been Christians for a while, new Christians in our church, people that are seeking God. And if I can give you one definable characteristic of biblical Christianity, it's this. God never intended for you to live life in your own strength. I can do all things through Christ. Everyone say, through Christ. I know some of you guys have accomplished things in life and you achieve things and maybe you haven't been a Christian doing that. But your soul's not satisfied. Your soul's not at peace until it's at peace with God. Matter of fact, as we end this series, I'm gonna ask everybody to bow their heads right now. Every single campus, those that are watching online as well. We'll start a new series next week on the last sayings of Jesus from the cross. But I I just want to take this moment. This is a holy moment each week in our service. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you do not know Christ, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, if you're not sure if you die today that you're ready to stand before God, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're watching online, maybe at whatever campus, Biloxi, Bay St. Louis, the South Shore, Baton Rouge, wherever you are, God is is talking to you. He loves you. He created you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And he's not mad at you, but you gotta surrender to him. In other words, you gotta make a decision to quit doing life on your own. If you die today, are you ready to stand before God? Do you know that you know that your sins have been forgiven? That you're in right relationship with God. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So at the count of three, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. If you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. If that's you at the count of three, I want you just to lift your hand up high. Pastor, pray for me. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you right here. God bless you and you and you. That's awesome. God bless you and you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. God bless you right there. God bless you up top. God bless you, sir. I see your hand way up there. That's awesome. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you, sir. Yeah, it's wonderful. God bless you right there. Church family, can we pray with those that are trusting Christ? This is the most most powerful, holy time 
in our service where literally people are making decisions, eternal decisions. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, come on, everyone. Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a savior. Say this, say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say this, say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this, say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an amazing message as we're wrapping up this series, Perspective Shift. It's been so good the past couple of weeks. And I do want to take a second to talk to those of you right now who may be making a decision to give your lives to Jesus. If that is you, we are celebrating with you. We're so excited for you as a church. And really our heart for you as a church family is that you wouldn't do life alone and that you'd really start out this journey with Jesus, but also with others. And so would you do me a favor right now and text the word decision to the numbers 822-822 if you live in the U.S. Or you can click the link in the chat room if you're watching it live and Really what that allows you to do is to just give us a little bit of your information so we can follow up with you, hear your story, and see how we can partner with you and resource you as you're beginning to walk out this amazing new life of following Jesus. You're a brand new creation, and this is just the beginning of an amazing life of following Jesus for the rest of your life. We've really enjoyed being with you at church this weekend. This was our final week of our series Perspective Shift, but it's not the end. In fact, we're kicking off a brand new series next weekend, so you're not going to want to be uh, forget being here next weekend for our series How to Live Through a Bad Day. It's going to be really, really good. So can't wait to see you there for church next weekend, same time, same place. Hey, we love you guys. See you soon.